Hey, what's up? It's Cole, Janine's producer on the podcast. Welcome to the Janine Hernandez experience. It's time to get inspired, step into your purpose, and create a life worth living. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, this is Janine Hernandez from the Janine Hernandez podcast experience. I am super excited. As you all know, we are series based and this series, the theme is survivors and we are interviewing survivors of narcissistic abuse. For the purpose of this episode, the guest is going to remain anonymous for safety and security purposes, um, but she will be sharing her story. So welcome. How are you? How are you? I am doing amazing on this beautiful day. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and for the willingness to share your story um, and speak up. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Yes. And so um, you and I met earlier this year and we instantly connected because I was going through my narcissistic, abusive, post-traumatic, you know, stress and all of that stuff. And I was just at the brink of starting my healing journey. Um, So when I had met you and you mentioned you instantly, we like connected on that. And so I think that that was like divine timing and divinely led. So I'm super just grateful that we connected on that part, but I definitely always have thought about you. And I'm like, I need to, you know, know more about her story just because I feel like other people can resonate with it as well. You know, for security purposes, we won't get too much into what you do and all of that, but kind of walk us through, like, when was the first time that you encountered a narcissist? So I was, um, I was married and I was in a relationship with my ex-husband for 17 years. And, um, to be honest, I didn't, I had never even heard the term narcissist. I didn't know what a narcissist was, or it wasn't until I got into therapy that, um, my therapist told me that I had been in a relationship with a narcissist, uh, sociopath man. And so, um, it was just through the stories and stuff that I was sharing in therapy. And that's when that opened the door for me to start researching, okay, what is narcissism? And once I started researching narcissism and and mental health and all of these things, I realized it was really helpful to find other people that could relate to my story and find other stories about this. And also, you know, for all those years, I just thought he was an asshole or, um, I thought, you know, maybe bipolar or just crazy or, or maybe it was me, you know, that I just wasn't doing things right. And, um, so it was actually very helpful to start educating myself on a lot of the, these terms, but yeah. So I think, you know, I'd be remiss in, in describing some of that if I didn't go back to how do I think that I even became susceptible to being in a relationship with someone that was abusive and narcissistic and all of that. Um, so if that's okay, if I kind of start by going down that road. Yeah. I mean, I have so many questions already of like, did you catch on to some of these signs at the beginning or was it gradual? Like walk us through that. So I was 17 when I met him. Um, So I was very ill-equipped to, you know, navigate a relationship on in any capacity. I mean, it was like, is he hot? 
great, that'll work. I mean, <laughs> so, um, so I was sexually abused by my stepdad when I was just seven years old. And when I went to my mom and told her, um, what had happened, she essentially, um, sat me down the next day and told me to please don't tell anybody that, that this happened. And she said, if it ever happens again, I, you know, just come and tell me first, please. But she also said someday you won't remember that this happened. So she really silenced me, um, from the perspective of sharing any sort of abuse or sharing anything that happened. And, in a way that was, you know, incredibly traumatic for me. And at the time, just being a seven-year-old child, I mean, I couldn't even wrap my mind around what that was until a later age. So skipping over a bunch of stuff, by the age of, you know, 17, I had been living with my dad in another state and circumstances changed and I needed to go back and live with my mom and my stepdad, same person that abused me um, when I was you know, just a little girl. Uh, so I found myself, you know, teenager and absolutely looking for love in all the wrong places and really just open to whatever, whatever was presented to me. So I met um, my ex-husband and, you know, I'm 17 years old and sure. I mean, he was a little bit of a bad boy and kind of a lot of uh, the night I met him, he actually went to jail <laughs> because he the same age as you or older a little bit older. So I was 17, he was 19. And, um, he absolutely had a temper problem and an anger problem. Initially, when I met him, the anger wasn't directed towards me. He would kind of lose his temper, you know, out and about and start fights with people in public or fight, you know, other guys or things like that. So I could definitely see this trait about him, but in many ways at that age, I felt protected. So I felt like, you know, this, I don't know, erratic behavior, uh, angry man was going to protect me from the rest of the world. Somehow that made sense at that age. And I didn't really even, you know, consider the option of that anger turning on me at a later point, but right away early in the relationship, the, the control and the jealousy was incredibly prominent in our relationship. I remember I'd just be looking out of the car window and he would lose his mind. And he'd be like, I saw you looking at that guy. And what are you looking at? And I would genuinely be like, I I don't know what guy you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. And he would, you know, give me silent treatment and lose his mind and get all angry. And then I just being incredibly codependent wanted to fix it. And I was just like, I'm sorry. And you know, he started getting really jealous and about the clothes I was wearing, if it attracted too much attention and made him uncomfortable. So I just obeyed. And I just like a subservient, you know, person changed all of my behaviors to where they wouldn't trigger him. So I started dressing, you know, incredibly conservatively. I mean, we're talking sweatshirts and sweatpants and stopped wearing makeup and stopped doing anything that might, you know, upset him because it was really just like this, I was just trying to please him and make him not uh, get triggered by my behaviors. But honestly, I could do all the things perfectly and he would still get triggered. And, um, and so these signs were very prevalent, but I didn't leave and leaving wasn't really 
on my mind. It, even at a young age, it was just appeasing him. But obviously, I really didn't have anyone to go to and talk to about what was going on. Um, I was living in the house with, you know, my childhood perpetrator and also my mom who didn't protect me from that. So I was kind of just out on my own, just doing my thing. Well, we had been in the relationship for four years. And, um, and then I found out I was pregnant with our daughter. To make a long story short, we ended up having getting married. Um, I was just 20 years old when we got married and then had two kids um, at a very young age. And progressively over the years, the abuse um, just continued to get more and more intense to the point where he kind of owned me like a pet. You know, he would kick me like you would kick a dog. He, you know, I might be like sound asleep in the middle of the night and he would just, something would piss him off. I don't know. And he might wake me up by physically kicking me out of the bed with all, with all this force. And I'd find myself just on the floor and kicked for no reason. I don't even remember what he would get mad about, but just different things, especially he really did have a um, kind of a sexual addiction thing to where he wanted sex in a, I mean, we're talking, of course, every day, if not multiple times a day, but it was really more in a, it was a controlling thing. It was like he wanted to pee on his territory. I don't know how to describe it. It wasn't a loving sexual type of experience. And so, of course, my, I would reject that. I didn't want that. And then the more I'd reject it, the more I'd be accused of getting it somewhere else or um, that, you know, he just, it would rival up all these other insecurities within his soul that I now didn't want sex from him, which of course, who wants sex from somebody that's just, you know, taking it from you and abusing you like that. So, um, he resorted to, he would just take sex from me in the middle of the night. I'd be sound asleep and he would just basically fuck me like a blow up doll. And, um, then, as things would get more and more intense, um, he started raping me via sodomy. So um, what he does would that mean? Expand a little bit. Up my butt, oh, okay. like forcefully um, sodomize me. Oh my god! And so you know, um, and a lot of there were times that that happened where it was as punishment for something. For example, one time. I wrecked the car um, and he came and whispered in my ear, you know, I'm not going to get all pissed off right here in front of the kids and everything, but you're going to pay for this later. Oh my God. And what he meant by that was that he was going to take sex by force and, um, and in any way that he wanted to. And then he would say to me, like in the moment, he might wake me up or he might, you know, come at me or whatever. And he would, I would, you know, cry and scream and say, don't, please don't. And he would say, we can do this the easy way or the hard way, but it's going to happen. And, um, and what he meant by that was with Vaseline or without. My God. So to me, because we were married and he was my husband and we were also, there's a lot of other details. We were very entwined in a, in a very conservative church environment, um, that didn't believe in divorce. Um, and so a lot of 
you know, the information I was getting from people I was in church with was that I just needed to pray harder and continue to pray for my husband and that God was going to remove this demon, if you will, within him. And so that this was like a demonic thing, not a narcissist, sociopath, abusive thing, right? That it was, we're just going to pray for him and he's going to change and God's going to give me a brand new husband. And I had multiple people um, throughout, you know, I would go to people in the church and cry for help or come with like, for example, one time he was so irate that I was rejecting sex that he, um, dug his nails into my breasts and ripped, uh, bleeding lines down my chest. And, um, so I showed pictures of that to other, you know, what ladies in the church. And I was like, this is, you know, the many times the marks were hidden. They were underneath clothing or the kicking was the bruises didn't show. It wasn't like a punch in the face. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I mean, so really I was dealing with all those things and over the course of 17 years, and I can tell you not every day was a bad day. Some days were fine and normal and okay. And some days were scary and awful and horrific. And I think just kind of like, um, they, you know, you'll hear about people that maybe go to like a war zone, like Iraq or something, and they get used to, they get used to it and it becomes their normal life. You know, for me, I've always been incredibly committed to being a mom and wanting to make sure that my kids were taken care of, um, and had food and clothing and all those things. And again, back to the original story about my mom and my stepdad, I never, had a support system to help me with my kids. So I didn't have anywhere to go. If I was going to leave him, I couldn't go home to my mom's house with my babies. And so I just, I never felt like I could leave. Um, I had nowhere to go. And so I just stayed. And I, I remember telling people, I'll, I'll leave the day my son graduates high school. I just need to know that my kids are okay. And I had kind of made up my mind that I was just going to essentially sacrifice my life until my kids were 18 and then I would live later. But if my kids were okay and they weren't being harmed and they weren't being abused, that they were, that they were safe, you know, it didn't really matter if I was safe. Um, I just seemed to know that they were okay. And then what happened was eventually his anger and aggression and all of that crazy stuff just spilled over into every area of life. Right. And so Our son was 10, 11 years old at the time, and he was playing competitive football. And my ex was very, um, very competitive on, you know, from a sports perspective and long story short, something happened at a, at a football practice. It was just a practice. And my son, um, got a beating for it because he didn't do it right or whatever. And, um, that night, my little boy came to me and said, he said, mommy, daddy's like the incredible Hulk. You know, sometimes he can be a really nice daddy. And sometimes he's just a scary monster. And then he said, but I guess we just had to have to learn how to live with it. Huh, mommy? So I filed for a divorce the next day. I had a coworker that I worked with. that was just very loving and kind. And she kind of stepped in as a rescuer because there was nobody else that was going to help. I didn't have money for a retainer. 
I didn't have a way to get out. I didn't know where to go. Um, and she had been through some really traumatic things. And so she said, I know an attorney and I'll pay your retainer. And, um, I just need you out of this. You need to, you have to get out. She really wanted me to go to like a, um, a safe house or something like that. Um, anyway, I just didn't want to uproot my kids and rip them out of their, their bedrooms and their home. And I didn't want, you know, at the time, I think my daughter was 13 and my son was 11. And, you know, I mean, they, kids have minds of their own at that age. So, I mean, to take a 13 year old little girl to a safe house, you know, I just didn't want all the potential pushback. So I just thought, no, I'm going to try really hard to, to do this the other way, the normal way and <laughs> file for divorce and get him, you know, and things got really, really intense during the divorce process. And to make a long story short, um, I ended up having to, I moved myself into a spare bedroom of the house and he proceeded to break into that spare bedroom, uh, numerous nights over and over again, throughout all these years, I never called the cops. I never reported anything, never, um, never called the police or anything for any of this stuff. And, um, he gaslit me so much. I mean, he would make fun of me and call me a, a little baby or a drama queen, or, you know, he would make fun of me and he would be like, you're such a crybaby. You're such a drama queen. You know, you're so stupid. And he would do that even in front of the kids to like, like he taught my kids to make me like the ass clown of the family. Mm-hmm. And so he would make fun of me and, and then, and, you know, my kids were really little and he would get them in on like, let's laugh at mom. Cause mom tripped over herself and she can't even walk. Like, I mean, I just was made fun of my whole <laughs> for years. And again, I got used to it. It was just normal. I probably made fun of myself too, because it was just, I just was used to it. Once he started breaking into that spare bedroom, I needed some kind of evidence that it was happening because I was tricking my brain into thinking that I was going crazy. And I just was trying to like show my friends and show my family, like, this is what's happening in my house and I need support. And I wanted to bring it like to my therapy session to be like, okay, so this is what's happening. I'll be asleep and whatever. So I started like recording what was going on in the house on my cell phone. So this one night he broke into the bedroom and he wouldn't get off me and he was on top of me. And I I told him, I said, if you don't get out of the room, I'm going to call the cops. And he got right in my face and he says, call the fucking cops, you stupid bitch. And I said, if I do this, your life is never going to be the same. Like you're going to get arrested. And, and I don't want my kids to watch their dad get walked out of the house in handcuffs. And, um, and he was just, and he just kept taunting me. He was like, call him, call him, bitch, call him, you stupid fucking bitch. I fucking dare you do it, do it. And so I was like, okay, I, I never wanted to do it. And um, I called 911 and yeah, he got arrested and he, um, my kids watched their dad get walked out of the house in handcuffs and everything changed from there like we lost our house he was charged as a sex offender so he's a sex offender for life now um he was I ended up getting full custody of the kids because he wasn't allowed to be around anybody under the age of 18 including his own children you know it just everything changed in my life that day and the divorce you know proceedings went forward um and financially you know I hit rock bottom 
I no longer had the two household income and I couldn't maintain all the things. So I've been working, I mean, this was eight years ago and I've been working two jobs ever since because I really didn't want to move my kids out of their comfort zone and their environment. So um, we live in an apartment now and we're safe and we're okay. I have to say that you calling the cops that day is one of the most courageous things you ever did. And I know you have tears in your eyes and it's one of the most difficult things because A, you don't want the kids to see it. And B, you, uh, I feel like as survivors, we protect our abusers. But that is one of the most courageous things that you could have ever done because had that not happened, yes, you hit rock bottom. Yes, financial situations. Yes, now he's a sex offender. Yes, the kids saw it. But had you not done that, you would have still been in the same situation today, probably. You know what I mean? Still being gaslit, well, manipulated. And and because, because he felt like he owned me, um, even once he was arrested and then released, even once there was a restraining order involved, he still didn't um, acknowledge the restraining order because he just thought, you know, that it was a joke. And so I then ended up having to call the police again because he kept violating the restraining order and he just would not leave me the fuck alone. And um, so it took years for him to really let go and, and move on. And then he got into a new relationship, um, you know, I, I think pretty close to right after I left him and um, he was in you know, incredibly abusive in that relationship because I know about it because he kept getting rearrested from physically abusing her and she kept calling the police and the whole thing just turned into honestly a shit show. And, and I don't regret calling the police. It was just, it was a means to an end. As you said, it was a lot to finally make that decision to walk away and, um, and to face the ramifications of what was all going to transpire afterwards, you know? So I, I was, uh, I had gotten connected to a therapist. I chose a male therapist on purpose because I really didn't have any healthy relationships with any men at all, you know? And, um, I felt like I have lots of girlfriends and females and stuff to talk to, but I really wanted to understand the psychology of what was going on inside my brain. Like, you hear about people that can, they might get out of one abusive relationship just to get into another one and another one. And I genuinely wanted to break the cycle. And so I wanted to submit to therapy to really understand like, what is it about me that needs to change so that I can build better boundaries and understand whatever I need to understand so that I don't attract this into my life ever again. And that's when I got on this journey with the therapist I was telling you about where he started teaching me about, you know, about mental health and about that I actually was in a relationship with someone for 17 years that had like a clinical diagnosis, whether it had actually been diagnosed or not, there was a book for it. And there's, there's, you know, there was a definition for it. And that was so healing for me. I don't, I don't know exactly why, but it was very helpful to be, to educate myself around what the terminology was around some of these things. 
Um, did you guys ever go to counseling through your marriage or yes, you did. Uh, how, was that ex- how was that experience? Because from what I have learned from narcissists is that they manipulate the therapist. Yes. Yes. We went to numerous therapists. Um, I, I guess so many, I don't even remember over the course of 17 years because he would do the whole gaslighting thing. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever heard of the term hoovering, yes. but he would, um, I might be ready to leave the relationship and then he would suck me back in and, um, and then maybe promise all this change and let's go to counseling and yada, yada. And then we would get into a counseling situation. And of course, like you said, either manipulate the counselors or what have you. Um, I, I will say that the majority of our counseling was unlicensed through, um, church volunteers. So we were, um, we were involved in a church for many years and they had kind of like a pastoral staff that would do couples counseling, if you will. And, but it was not a licensed therapeutic situation. It was more of like a loving, you know, we want to help another couple in the church type of thing. And so in those settings, a lot of times it would just, like I was describing earlier, end up that it was the devil's fault. And we would just pray about it and, and then send us on our way. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? So, um, which of course had me sort of convinced that, I mean, if these other mentors and guiders were, you know, guidance folks were telling me it was the devil's fault, then I just disassociated and made it the devil's fault too, and not his fault and, and just, uh, continued to live with it. But it goes to, it, 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 it sparks an interest in me of like how many other people suffer in their church as well. And they say that same, ex, same exact excuse. Yeah. Well, who knows? They might be, might be going through the same exact thing yeah. and they just, they write it off to the devil. Right. <laughs> and so after, um, you know, once I finally left the relationship, I actually ended up needing to leave the church too, because though there was a bunch of well-intentioned, very loving people um, at the church, many of them kind of really, well, they absolutely didn't agree with me making the decision to leave the relationship and get divorced. And some people treated me really poorly um, once I filed for divorce and then also continued to sort of pray that we were going to get back together and walk up to me at the church and tell me God wanted me to take back the husband of my youth and God wanted God didn't believe in divorce and that, I mean, there was just so much to it that I finally was like enough. At the expense of your safety and your kid's safety. Yes. And, and, and I mean, I remember one lady essentially, I I don't know if she directly said I had a Jezebel spirit, but because he would go into the church environment and maybe share with people that I just wanted to leave him so that I could go date some else or I just suddenly wanted to go and be a slut or something I mean he would try to defame my character um to people you know of course to elevate himself to make himself not come across as the bad guy now this is the guy that in a church environment he's the sweetheart helping the little old lady out of her car into the church and he's the one there doing some volunteer stuff at the church and mowing the church lawn and um 
you know, when it came to church environments where they're having altar calls, he's the first one at the altar on his knees, bawling and crying, you know, with his arms raised and praying to God for forgiveness and putting on an absolute show that other people from the outside would come up to me in church and give me a huge hug and be like, your husband had a breakthrough today and God's going to give you a brand new husband. And, and, you know, praise God, <laughs> your face. <laughs> it's a girl, it's just, it's you listening to you because we, as women or as, because there are female narcissists too. So it goes both ways, but <laughs> we, we sometimes meet people that are charming like that, that are charming, that are the ones that will help the old lady that will open the door, that will be super nice, that will go out of their way and do all these nice things. And that is how a narcissist gets us because oh, we're yes. like, oh my God, this, this is such a nice person. They're so sweet. And then their mask comes off. The so that's why I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm like in complete awe because you really don't know who it could be. It could be the person right next to you that is so nice and so sweet, but behind closed doors, all of this is going on. To be And, and it wasn't so, um, it, at the end of the relationship, I mean, I never, ever used the word rape um, in regards to what was happening to me in my house because in the context of being married, I mean, I just assumed, especially with, you know, Bible verses on top of that, I assumed that my body was really his for the taking and he could do whatever he wanted to it. And so it wasn't until we actually were in an, a therapy session at the very, very end of the relationship um, where there was a therapist that asked to do one-on-ones with us outside of the couple thing. And during my one-on-one session with this therapist, he told me, if you don't call the police, I will. Like, this is absolutely rape. Um, and I, I was just so shocked. I was like, whoa, like, I had to really wrap my mind around, I'm being raped. I mean, well, of course I was, but I just didn't, I had normalized it so much, you know? Um, I mean, but yeah. So that was really intense. And of course, you know, I'm grateful that I don't have um, permanent scars from it. And, you know, the sodomy um, being raped in in that type of way can lead to permanent damage. Um, But I'm okay. And I'm grateful for that. Um, You know, but the scars are invisible, right? So um, it's the same thing with with child abuse and molestation. I mean, those scars are invisible too. And, um, they're happening in my brain, but you can't see them from the exterior. So, so I got out of that relationship, um, with the help of my therapist and a lot of support. And I was just so incredibly grateful for like a new chance at life, a new chance at freedom. I actually got my first tattoo the day we got divorced and it says free and it's on my arm and it says free, And, um, it just really was symbolic for me. And I wanted to look at that tattoo every single day of my life and remind myself to stay free, you know, to, to acknowledge that I, I was able to break free from this relationship and this cycle and get out of it. And so that led me on this journey to just, you know, kind of find myself and, and re-experience my youth and have a little bit of fun and, and, and things like that. And, um, 
And you, so I want to touch on one thing because you, you were 19, he was 19. So you were a baby still. So you were learning, you were growing into a woman while you're going through this abuse. Did you at all feel like you might've not even known who you were until after the, the, the divorce and you know what I mean? Oh, hundred percent. I'm still finding myself right now. You know, I mean, I, I, and I'm still in therapy with the same therapist because we're still very much on that journey of me absolutely finding myself no, you, without a doubt. You were conditioned that whole time. And those are the pivotal moments or years where we as women grow, right? From 17 right. to like 30. 34. I was 34, 34. when I left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say like, even for me, my twenties are a blur. My 30 to 34 is where I'm starting to like yes. understand things. So you were conditioned that whole time and abused that whole time. So it's yes. like, it's almost like, who, who am I? You know, he was young. So I can only imagine you have to have a little bit of empathy for people like that, but I can only imagine the kind of abuse or, you know, abuse or trauma that he went through. Oh yes. Have to project that on you. Yeah. And he really did have a traumatic upbringing. So absolutely. And, and which fed into my trauma bonding with him as well as, um, just having deep empathy for him because anytime that he would kind of suck me back into the relationship, he would go back to his childhood abuse and the things that he had been through, which would give me compassion for him and want to give him another chance, of course. So, so, I mean, I was addicted to that relationship with him, just like somebody's addicted to, you know, a hard drug. Um, I, might have moments where I tried to leave it or whatever, but I was very much addicted to it. Um, and so leaving it, you know, and then I would try to leave the relationship and then relapse back into it and all kinds of things. And, you know, 17 years worth of stories there, but I did want to also talk about, you know, another part of my journey where I got out of that relationship and had five solid years of just living life and you know, dating and exploring and trying to find myself and all of that and feeling really strong and feeling really healthy and feeling, you know, equipped to, um, like I had learned so much, like I could identify a narcissist. I had done all the research. I had, I had read the books. I had been through therapy and then, um, I was set up on this blind date friend, good friend of mine, she said, you know, I met this person and I think that you'd really like him. You know, she goes, I don't know him well or anything, but he's single, you're single, you guys should meet. And, um, so of course, you know, I was interested and we met and it was magical. We met and I met the most charming person I've ever met in my entire life, more charming than my ex-husband, more charming than anybody. And it was, it felt so refreshing. It felt so exciting. It felt like I deserved this. Like my Prince Charming had finally arrived after all these years and all the bullshit. And now I have this man that just loves me. And he would send me flowers to my job, these huge, beautiful bouquets of you know, they were probably worth like $300 a pop and he'd mail them or send them to my job like every two weeks and take me to fancy dinners and buy me fancy gifts. And, you know, even, even the sex was just fireworks. It was just every, he, he, I felt loved. 
I felt like I'm being loved for the first time in my life. And I deserve this. And I want this and this most charming guy. And he would just incessantly call me and incessantly want to talk to me. And, and to the point where he was calling me, I mean, 24 seven calling me, calling me in the middle of the night, waking me up just to tell me he loved me. And yeah, like a little, little alarm started going off in my gut. Like, you know, this probably isn't the healthiest thing to just have this man pretty much have no boundaries and just call me 24 seven, you know, and want to tell me he loves me and whatever. And, um, he had some really weird boundaries that he established in the relationship where he would only let me like be around him face to face, essentially 15 days out of a month. So. I was only allowed to be around him half the month, uh, like every other week here and there. And he had very strict boundaries about like, I wasn't allowed to show up to his house unannounced or be anywhere. You know, there's a lot to this, but I still, I mean, with all the love bombing, I, I was, I was willing to just do whatever, whatever, you know, whatever you like I do for you. Um, and I didn't want it to go away. Right. Even if some of this stuff felt uncomfortable or well, I had little alarms going off in my mind. Like this seems really kind of off and it doesn't seem fair that he can set boundaries and I can't. Um, I still kind of just submitted to it and like, like a drug relapse got completely hooked on him. I mean, to the point where I was, I started doing that. He wasn't even really asking me to dress differently, but I started being that same woman that I was in the relationship with my previous controller, where I started dressing like way more, I don't know, conservative. I started, I, I, I wouldn't even like go out to my, I, I walked around my house with my cell phone in my hand in the event that he called me, I didn't want to like miss a call and have him wonder why I didn't answer my phone. And I just started. You were controlled. You yes. And I had one of my closest friends. She told me, Shelly, you're losing your sparkle. And I'm just really scared that you're losing your sparkle. She's like, I'm happy for you, but something's off and you know, it's off. And then she said, maybe you should tattoo a cage around that free bird tattoo. And she was teasing me, but man, like she was right. And I like a robot, like a, just kind of just went right back into these like trained behaviors that I used to do when I did it before. I, and it was like, I knew I was doing it and I was uncomfortable and that I was doing it, but I couldn't snap out of it. I, I mean, the best analogy is describing it like, as if I got back on hard drugs and I knew they weren't good for me, but I couldn't say no. And this man didn't, he never hit me. Um, he would raise his temper and like yell at me and kind of get really aggressive in that way off and on. And I one time got really emotional and I was like, I don't think you understand with my past. I cannot have you yell at me when you yell at me. And then he would just, he was incredible at manipulation. 
I mean, absolutely fascinatingly incredible at it. He was probably the most intelligent person I've ever met in my life. Um, at one point, he even signed up for law school just for fun. Like he already had a highly successful career, but just in that narcissist, I can run the world. I can do whatever, all things. I'm a God in a man's body. I'm going to just get a law degree just for fun. And the scary thing about it is he started taking these online classes. And I mean, I saw his grades. He was getting hundred percent scores, barely trying. And it was, I'm, <laughs> I'm telling he was incredibly intelligent. His career was in sales, so master manipulator. And so even if I would try to defend myself or stick up for myself in certain arenas and say certain things, he would just kind of bulldoze me with words to where I would just be like, okay, you're right. I'm wrong. You win. And I was... I think that love bombing stage that lasted about three months of our relationship, we were together a solid two years. That love bombing stage was so incredibly powerful that for the next two years, you know, I, I I think I was still so sucked into the behaviors that were taking place during those first three months, even though they didn't continue on for two years. Does that make sense? Yep. So leaving out a bunch of details. And, and honestly, one of the reasons I asked for this to be anonymous is this particular person is, is the person that makes me really nervous and honestly kind of scared. Like I, I can't even, I, I can't even fathom if he were to hear this podcast and hear me talking about him. He has so much pride and arrogance and ego that I don't know what type of retaliation might take place if he were to hear this. Mm-hmm. Once things, you know, as I said, I'm leaving out a lot of details, but once things bubbled up to the point where I had enough alarms going off, that was like that I have to get out of this relationship. This is, you're absolutely in a relationship with another narcissist, narcissistic person, one that might not be physically abusive or what have you, but this is, here we go again, you know, oops, I did it again. Cold the narcissist. <laughs> Yes. And I'm like, here we go again. I'm in another, another, um, very, very toxic relationship. So I broke up with him and, uh, come to find out he started stalking me, stalking me in a really, um, intense way. I didn't know he was stalking me of course, um, until it was about, it was about two and a half months after I broke up with him. Um, I ended up having a conversation with him on the phone one night, it was new year's Eve. And, um, during this conversation, he shared with me, I mean, he didn't call it stalking of course, but he shared with me all the stalking that he had been doing and all the times that he was following me around and he saw my car parked here and parked there. And he knew about this guy I had gone on some dates with, and he knew about, he knew that guy's name and about his child and he knew everything, everything about everything. And, um, I mean, he started asking me just detailed questions about certain things that I was like, how do you know that? And then through the conversation, he admits to me that he's had a fake Facebook profile account, but I feel like the Facebook profile thing was a decoy because part of me actually thinks that he had a tracking device on my car. I was just going to ask you that. He's, 
it, I mean, I still have that car. I had it looked at, but I, I don't know. I think, or a tracking device on my cell phone. I ended up getting a different cell phone, trying to see, you know, if that was the case, but he, his house is an hour away from my house. So for him to take the time to follow me around, I mean, would take a real, a real concerted effort, you know, (laughs) Um, which I'm sure he did from, you know, from time to time. But anyway, so once he revealed to me, you know, all of this stuff about following me and all this kind of stuff, um, again, the alarms were ringing in my head that do not re-engage with this person. Do not, you know, you need to cut this back off. You need to like back to no contact with this person. Um, And so I share, I told him, I said, you know, unfortunately, I think we opened up a can of worms by having a conversation on new year's Eve. And I, we need to stop. Like, I don't, I want to go back to no contact with you and continue to be broken up and goodbye. So about 10 days pass, um, and there was no contact. And one night, um, I had went to uh, a dinner party with my daughter who's, you know, 21 and we were at like a house dinner party and we didn't get home until 1130 at night. And we pulled into the dark parking lot of my apartment complex and I, uh, it went to exit, you know, I, I exited the driver's side of my vehicle and shut the door. And as I turned around to scooch between the two cars, he was standing right in front of my face. I mean, not even a foot in front of me. He was right in front of my face. This person is over six foot tall, huge man. Um, and he was, What he said to me was, I had to see it for myself. I froze, um, you know, fight, flight, or freeze is (laughs) trauma response, right? And um, multiple times in my life when I've had traumatic things happen, I freeze. And in that moment, I froze. I didn't respond to his question. I didn't even move. I just was in shock, honestly. I mean, didn't really know what was going to happen next. And Um, my daughter then exits the passenger side vehicle of the car and, you know, looks up and shockingly sees a man standing over her mom in this dark parking lot. She looks at him, she looks at me and she, you know, made eye contact with me and said, who is that? She didn't recognize him. So I told her his name and she then looks right at him and she said, why are you here? And he said, I'm here to talk to your mom. You need to go inside your house. And she said, why the fuck are you stalking my mom? You need to get the fuck out of here. And he got really angry that she said that. And so he started taunting her and he started calling her, her her father's name. So he was taunting her a a little, you know, a, a young woman that he doesn't barely know. I mean, she, throughout our two year relationship, we really didn't you know, integrate kids at all. And, um, she, she was like, why is this person calling me my father's name, like taunting her over and over again. And then it turned into this screaming, yelling match where he's, you know, screaming and yelling at my child. She's screaming back at him. And I just backed away and went towards my daughter, put my arm around her and proceeded to like usher her into the door of the house while he followed behind us. And then he took off. So after that incident, um, 
I was pretty shook up. She was shook up. She was more angry than anything. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, who is this person that was dating my mom? Who the hell does this guy think he is? And, and honestly, who the hell does he think he is? Like what, on what planet is something like that? Uh, you know? Okay. I, I don't know. I mean, we're talking a 48 year old grown man here. This is not kids play, you know? And, um, so my resolution was to, in order to file a restraining order, there has to be, there's certain protocol, right? You have to have an actual threat. Um, there has to be a pattern of behavior. Unfortunately, there's protocol to getting a restraining order. So I decided that instead of going that route, which I knew would get denied, um, I would mail him a certified letter that was a very formal cease and desist letter. Um, and I had an attorney friend of mine read it over and then I had it mailed certified mail so that, so that when, you know, I would know that he signed for it and received the letter and in the letter, it said, you know, if the stalking behavior continues, I will seek further action, et cetera. Basically it was just very formal, um, a very formal, you know, way of saying, leave me alone and do not ever contact me or my children ever again. And, and that's been, uh, Oh, it'll be a year, you know, in January, uh, in mid January. So, um, it's been a while and I haven't been contacted by him. Thank God. So, so that was my, you know, experience with, with another, you know, very toxic person, man. And so as you can only imagine, you know, for me, dating and being in relationships is really not at the top of my list. Mm -hmm. I, I just, but I still live a very fulfilled, happy life. And I still, you know, enjoy my girlfriends and my life feeling very free, but I, I don't trust relationships for me anyway. Wow. So that's, it. that's my story. Well, I want to say thank you so much for sharing it because you literally just showed, showed us uh, an extreme narcissistic behavior and tendencies and then a covert one where it's like mysterious and quiet and they're hiding and then you know what I mean like two yeah. opposite ends of the spectrum but I will say this I do feel like sometimes we go through things because we need to learn certain lessons and mm -hmm. for you at least you've been able to identify two different types already so moving forward you already know the signs of the two different extremes of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it shows that you're so courageous, the things that you overcame, um, that you had to go through that you overcame. And like I said, you calling the cops that day was one of the most courageous things. And actually you sending that season to desist letter is also very courageous <laughs> because a lot of people would just push it under the rug and just like, I'll just block the person. And it's like, sometimes you have to go to those steps and those measures, especially when our kids are involved. I appreciate that. And I think, you know, it's, it's the mama bear strength from within. I, unfortunately, I don't know that I would have made those decisions to protect my own self in either one of those scenarios, but you know, you fuck with my kids um, and uh, you're dead to me. We'll have you will know. have problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of what happened. And I don't know, but I am really appreciating, you know, appreciate you letting me share my story and, and hearing all of that. And sometimes it's healing, just sharing and being able to kind of talk about your journey. 
Where are you at now? Because I know that you've been going to counseling for eight years. Um, you've gone to women's retreats. You've done certain things. Um, you're hanging out with your girlfriends. So you're, you know, at least getting, you having a social life, you work. Where are you at now? Like what, what is, because this is all about survivors. So um, do you consider yourself a survivor and where are you at now? I do consider myself a survivor. Um, I would say now, gosh, I, I'm still on a journey of, of really finding myself. Um, but I'm in a really good place. I feel like one of the prescriptions, if you will, that my therapist gave me, um, after getting out of that last relationship I was describing, he wanted me to take a year long dating detox. He wanted me, you know, no dating, no men, not even give out your phone number, nothing, an absolute um, detox from all of that with the intention, with very intentional things involved to, to really focus on myself and not focus on giving of myself to, or nurturing any relationship other than the relationship with myself. So we negotiated, I said a year's a long time. So we negotiated with six months. <laughs> so I very much, you know, I followed through my, with my commitment and for six months, I went on a, you know, dating detox, no man uh, in my life journey, and just really did that introspective work during that time. Um, you met me during that time when I was yeah. on the dating detox. And it was, it was lovely. It was perfect. And I learned how to be self-sufficient in so many different ways, including sexually, honestly. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, you I hate to say you don't need a man, but you don't. <laughs> so, um, and it's not that I don't, you know, desire um, a man or, or physical touch or, or things like that. I mean, obviously I'm still a human being, but taking that time out and that break was absolutely essential to my growth and my healing. And so, um, you know, I don't have that firm boundary right now. I'm still willing to date, but I just... I think now, you know, I, I have my, I don't have the blinders on anymore. I won't be love bombed again. You know, unfortunately for the next person that might try to send me a dozen roses, I'll be like, Ooh, it's gross. I don't want your flowers. Um, and again, I don't hate flowers, but it has such a gross association with it nowadays, you know? So I think it's um, interesting about your your dating detox or men detox because I am now almost nine months no contact with my narcissistic ex and also nine months of dating detox. And it wasn't a decision that, you know, that a counselor told me or my spiritual counselor. It, honestly, I didn't even say, oh, I'm going to take a year off of, I didn't do any of that, but I kind of just went through the healing process and here I am nine months later. <laughs> and when I tell you that not engaging in conversation, not, I'm not saying conversations because I have male friends, but I mean like conversations where it's romantically involved or emotionally mm -hmm. involved or sexually involved with any men. I haven't gone on any dates. I've been like single, mm -hmm. single, but yes. just that having that time for myself has been one of the most amazing experiences because I just get to hang out with myself and I have so much fun. Like yes. literally I'll be on TikTok and I'm cracking up with my wine and my popcorn and I'm just having a good time by myself. And I'm learning 
who I am as a woman again. And it's just, I keep telling myself, I don't know how, how long I'll be in this dating detox, but I'm preparing myself for that future husband that God has for me. And so whatever that looks like, it might be a year, it might be three years, the hell I know. But when I know, when I know, I'll know, you know what I mean? But I'm enjoying that. So it makes me really good to know that you did it because I'm like following in your footsteps. (laughs) Well, I think it's, it's amazing because you start to just treasure that time and then it makes you sort of crave that introspective alone time and time just for you. And when it becomes a habit, then if somebody tries to show up and like dive into that space, like if somebody were to show up into my life right now and try to call me 24 seven and call me in the middle of the night, I mean, not only have I been there, done that, but I would just have a more firm boundary that like, this is my peace and my space and you don't get all of it. Absolutely not. You know, because I, I have a different level of respect for myself and my own peace now than I did even at that time, if if that makes any sense. It does. And you know what? Throughout this time, I've encountered narcissists, not only, um, so I had one guy that texted me for like a week, right? So I wouldn't say he was a narcissist, but I definitely saw red flags and I was able to cut him off within a week. Um, I encountered a narcissist in business and I encountered a narcissist as a female, And so I realized that God is putting me through a season of like testing me like, okay, I'm going to throw certain people at you. How are you going to respond? Are you going to catch the red flags? And I'm, I'm, I've been pretty good at like, that's a red flag. Nope. These are my boundaries. Are you going to respect them? If you don't respect them, then you can't be in my life. And it feels so good. Feels so good. It feels so good. Well, this has been really a lot of fun and I, I do appreciate you having me here today to do this. And um, hopefully we'll be able to get together again and talk about our journeys. I truly, truly appreciate you. And thank you so much for sharing your story. And I know that there are going to be so many women and men that are going to be inspired just by your resilience, your courage to overcome. And I want to thank you for being a survivor and for being so vulnerable today. Thank you so much, girl. Of course, if my story were to help one other person in any way, it would be my pleasure to, you know, to do that. So um, I'm glad I was able to share. Maybe write a book one day. We'll see. Maybe, maybe. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Janine Hernandez Experience podcast. As with, with anything, make sure that you subscribe, you like, you comment, share with a friend, and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to the Janine Hernandez Experience Podcast. Make sure you like, follow, and subscribe to our channel, Instagram, and all things social media. We'll see you soon on the next episode.